If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. Neural medicine are on the front lines helping doctors and nurses. I think that is exciting. I think there's all kinds of applications for robotics that will open up after this. What are robots accomplishing in the fight against coronavirus? And once the crisis is passed, in what aspects of daily life are you most likely to see robots becoming an everyday occurrence? Eugene Dimitri is senior editor at The Robot Report. Eugene, what are some of the most effective ways that you are currently seeing robotics companies stepping up to the challenges of the pandemic? Well, there are certain robots that were already designed for healthcare and medical-related purposes prior to the crisis. And so a lot of those robots are really well-suited to addressing the needs for disinfection, delivery, telemedicine, telepresence. And at Remote Report, we've covered a lot of those types of robots. I would say the ones that are most directly involved are the disinfection robots, the ones that use ultraviolet light or this various sprayed disinfectants, those are the ones that are really, truly on the front lines of the COVID-19 fight. But there's plenty of other robots that are helping relieve nurses and doctors the tedium or stress dealing with a lot of people in the public space or having to run back and forth across the hospital transporting supplies. And so those robots I would consider to also be really relevant to the current situation. And then there's a sort of third-tier robots that were not designed necessarily with healthcare purposes in mind, but that whether it's telepresence or supply chain, there's a whole set of robotics companies that are now trying to help out with how do we limit people's exposure, but at the same time get things done that we need to get done, whether it's in the hospital or a essential retailer, like a grocery store, or somewhere further up the supply chain where we talk about food handling, those robots are also increasingly necessary. What's interesting about what you've just said, and I'd love to look a little more closely at several of these types of robots, but what you've just said makes it sound like we are ready, or at least in part, to deal with this. Well, I would say that we have the tools. There's certainly an understanding or a greater appreciation now for what automation can do. In terms of the different types of robots that I mentioned, they are still not yet out in the wild, so to speak, enough, right? They're not, if you talk about Amazon robotics or Kiva and mobile robots and warehouses, certainly there are plenty of those. And yet Amazon itself is still hiring 100,000 people. So that shows that there's still, even in the leaders, there's still a shortfall of robots that are needed. And then if we talk about retail grocery or hospitals, the need is still much greater than the supply or the availability of sophisticated autonomous machines. And so I think we understand what they can do. We see the potential. And every robotics company I've spoken to lately, they are scaling up production as best they can. But the idea of a robot being a daily site in a hospital or a daily site in a grocery store, we're just beginning that. 
we will hopefully be more ready, heaven forbid, if we have another pandemic, but it occurs to me that may happen in the future. Let's take a close look at some of the robot types that you've mentioned. The disinfection robots intrigue me when you talk about ultraviolet light. How does one of these work? So the way this works is that there are certain wavelengths of radiation that kill bacteria and viruses. And so what you would do in, in the case of the UVD robot, for example, the robot goes into a, a hospital room. Nobody has to be around. In fact, you don't really want a human being around while it's cleaning. But it will zap, for lack of a better term, it will zap surfaces and reduce the amount of viral agents that are present or bacterial agents that are present on those surfaces. That's not necessarily substitute, obviously, for wiping them down or other types of disinfection, but it is a tremendous help in that hospitals are already short-staffed. There's plenty of rooms that need disinfection. Every time you, you have people come in and out, do an operation or do a visit or whatever, you have to turn those rooms over as quickly as possible. And so those robots are really helping to reduce the presence of potentially harmful pathogens in those spaces. And eventually, I think we will see more of those robots, not just in hospitals, but in other public spaces. There are robots like that being used in airplanes. You can see them being used in shopping malls eventually. Again, the use case is just beginning to be understood, but those disinfection robots that use ultraviolet light or in some cases they spray a disinfectant, they're really something that I think has great potential. We should emphasize that in your article about UVD robotics, you quote the co-founder saying there's a whole lot more to this than putting light bulbs on a robot. They have a lot of safety constraints and such. And if we use this, how long do we have to wait before people can come in without being exposed to any kind of radiation or anything? So the good news about UVD robots and, and robots like them that, that do radiation is that there's not a residual effect. It's like shining a black light or an ultraviolet light. You don't want a human to be exposed to it directly. There's certainly cumulative damage, like a sunburn. But once the UVD robot has cleared the room or has shown that light on all the relevant surfaces, it can leave and a person can enter pretty much immediately thereafter. The founders of the company told me that you might smell almost like ozone or you know, a feeling of burnt skin cells in the air, but that's not harmful. It's already done its job. And you're absolutely right. These robots that are being used for disinfection, the top-of-the-line ones that are emerging, they've been designed with that purpose in mind. Sticking a UV light on a mobile cart, that's good, but there's still a lot of challenges with making sure that you get full coverage of a room, that you hit all the right surfaces, and for the right amount of time. And so you really want an autonomous robot to do that and not to have a person directly involved. But as soon as the robot's work is done, a person can then go in and, you know, add new sheets or put in new tools or so on. You mentioned delivery robots, food handling, and telepresence, and I wish you'd tell me a little bit about one of each of these robots and what it's doing. So in terms of delivery robots, I recently wrote about Diligent Robotics, which is a company that has built Moxie, a mobile manipulator. And so this is a a robot cart with an arm, and it can go and fetch medical supplies from the supply closet and transport them down in the hall and, and then deliver them to something. And the advantage of that is, again, 
nurses and orderlies and physicians spend a lot of time running around in the hospital. And hospitals are already well-oiled machines, but when staff is scarce or their attention is really needed to focus on human patients, then these robots that deliver things within hospitals are tremendously effective because they reduce some of that time spent on, I don't want to say busy work, but on work that humans don't have the time to do. And so I think that's a valuable application. Do you foresee delivery robots in this particular pandemic being used in, for lack of a better term, the private sector in delivering perhaps food and medications to people stuck in their homes? So I just editing an article about drone delivery of medication to people who are stuck on islands, right? And so there's absolutely, I think, an application for automation and delivering needed supplies. In terms of delivering food and things to general consumers, as you know, there have been a lot of mobile robots that have been tested for delivering things out in the streets, just as we've seen autonomous vehicles being tested for similar purposes. However, it's still early days for those technologies. They still have a lot of regulatory hurdles to overcome. They still have to make sure that people are sure that they're safe and secure and they protect one's privacy. They're absolutely going to come, and I think this will accelerate the development and adoption of delivery robots, but they're not yet being deployed in a wide scale. And in fact, most of the ones that we've seen have been deployed on college campuses. Most colleges are now closed. We've seen them deployed in retirement communities where I think that's a great place to limit human contact for safety's sake. We'll be probably seeing those in the future. What about food handling robots? What's one example of that? So food handling robots, right now, what people may not realize is that you see something that's shrink-wrapped in the grocery store, and you think, oh, no human has touched that. They got wrapped in a factory somewhere near the farm, and now it's just plopped out, and I'll be the first person to touch it. But in fact, most food items are handled by multiple people along the supply chain. And normally, that's not a problem. But right now, where we're very concerned about traceability, we're very concerned about food safety, and about just you know conveying infection among people, you don't necessarily want to have so many people in the grocery store, in the warehouse, and the shipping, and the fruit picking, all of that to be involved if you can cut that down to the bare minimum and yet still have safe, fresh product out on the shelves, so much the better. And there is this idea of touchless retail where we get to the point, you, you push a button on your phone, you order food, and it's prepared, sliced up, delivered with almost no human contact. We're not quite there yet, but we're getting closer. And whether it's the fast food chains or restaurants or, at the moment, mostly grocery chains, they're all looking at how to improve automation to handle things like meat, to handle things like fresh produce in a way that is sanitary and efficient. It sounds like some exciting developments are going to be coming down the pike. What about with telepresence robots? So telepresence robots has been a niche for some time. The big challenge is how does a mobile robot with a tablet for a face, how is that better than your phone and, and teleconferencing with your phone or laptop? There are instances where it is very helpful on the manufacturing floor for training and troubleshooting. We've seen some really great instances for telemedicine. We're starting to see a lot of that right now where you can consult a doctor and he doesn't have to travel to see you. You don't have to go into a clinic to talk to 
a doctor. But now the other advantage of telepresence is that it gives people the ability to be in a location, like a house that they're visiting or a factory or whatever, and they are not directly exposed to whatever might be in the environment. The interesting thing I've seen in the last several days is that you have telepresence robots that can also do things like take someone's temperature or interact with a person on a social level, read their expression, see if they're tired, or have that tele-education capacity. There's, so there are absolutely good use cases for telepresence robots, and I think that will expand. But compared to some of the other robots that we've already described, this is starting out as a small niche application. We also talked about robots in a different medical capacity, surgical robots. You can take your best surgeon, and not only can they help train other surgeons, but they can also supervise operations or procedures remotely. There have been some very promising experiments conducted over 5G networks, where there's low latency, high bandwidth, of a surgeon in a hospital being able to monitor and make real-time recommendations with high-res imagery and say, oh, maybe you should angle your camera here or make an incision there. And that ability to, again, multiply or expand human capability is very exciting because there's this whole idea of democratizing care. You are always going to have a handful of doctors and surgeons and nurses who are better than average. But why not extend that ability to help people no matter where they are? So if you're in a rural clinic far from a major city, you might be able to get access to the same level of care as someone who is in that city without having to fly the doctor over, without having to assemble a whole different crew within the operating theater, but there's the ability to extend the reach of medicine in ways that we're just now beginning to be able to do. Wow. And with the understanding that you and I are not medical professionals, and this is not medical advice, this sounds like it could save some lives. You mentioned in a recent article, and just mentioned now, about tele-education and robots that do that. With all these parents homeschooling, what might they like to know about in the robotics field that could be helpful? So two things I would say is, one, in most cases, there are not a lot of robots that are currently available where you can say, oh, I want a robot that will teach my kid. That we're not there yet. There are certainly some very promising robots being made, and there's a lot of great STEM educational kits where a child or an educator can team up and build a robot and, even more importantly, learn to program that robot. The second thing about that is that if you're looking at a robotics product for your child, I would check first with the school. Is it something that interfaces with their program? Is it something that they will support? And then second, is it something that will actually provide value to them? I know I had a conversation last year with someone who said the big problem with a lot of the social and educational robots is saying the time to boredom. And right now, parents everywhere are fighting that, right? You don't want to have it present your kid with a new piece of technology, and they get bored with it right away. With robots, there's less of a problem with that because they have the opportunity to learn with it, to teach the robot to do different things. And I think, again, we've seen some movement in that space recently. A lot of companies are now working on robots for that, but they have to be more than a glorified toy. They have to be more than something that will blink at you and maybe do a little dance on command, and then 
the child sits on the side and never returns to it. And so I would advise parents to really look carefully at what they can do and then really work with the educators because there's a absolute need for more engineering and science and, and mathematics students out there. If you yourself had to give a child a resource today to learn how to make a robot or to learn how to code, what are one or two that you might suggest? So it's an interesting question because, again, there are social robots, and most of those are at the moment engaged in helping people with autism or the elderly remain socially active. And there's some really promising models there. I've written before, and I think you and I have talked before, about LEQ from Intuition Robotics. But in terms of the robot kits that are out there, there's a lot of kits that, again, they involve a robot, but the more important aspect of that is the programming and the aspect of saying, oh, I have the physical robot, but it's more important, can I simulate what it can do ahead of time? Can I program it with, without getting into deep level coding, per se, but with object-oriented programming and a more intuitive user interface? And then in terms of actual robots, there are a handful of companies that I think are worth noting. A lot of them are still rather expensive. So they're, if you think about SoftBank's Pepper, that's still mostly going to be seen in schools or now. It's mostly going to be seen in schools. And so certainly Lego is the largest plug company in the world, partially because they've really made an effort to develop these kits for kids that they can build themselves. And then finally, in terms of educational robots, I would argue that the market is changing. And so you're going to see probably after this crisis, you'll see a lot of robots that have been adjusted based on what we learn about teleeducation right now. On the subject of the market changing, you and I talked before as well about employment and what people might want to do for their future should they want to avoid being replaced by robots. We wound up saying, well, robots are to supplement what people do. They're not to replace them. But we've got a rapidly changing world, and we're going to have a lot of people unemployed at the end of the pandemic. What might you tell anybody today who might be looking at that about perhaps retraining or learning to deal in a new world where probably robots are going to have a lot more of a role than they've had previously? Well, I would caution people, again, not to be afraid of robots taking your jobs. At the moment, right before all of this happened, unemployment was at historic lows, even as the level of automation was increasing. And so while the level of automation will accelerate during the crisis, you're still going to need people, if anything, we'll value people even more because we'll realize where we need them. We need people for customer service. You need human contact to really understand a product or to understand how to do something. And so I would encourage listeners to really think about where can I add value? It's not just a matter of standing in place. We all are going to have to learn new things, but we're also going to have to learn how to work alongside robots. And so if you, even if you're not a programmer, if you can make yourself valuable in learning how to supervise robots, if you can make yourself valuable in being comfortable in adopting automation, helping your organization bring it in and use it effectively, understanding processes, that's really where everybody 
has a stake in what comes next. Yes, unemployment is going to shoot up. It's already starting to. But when the crisis abates, employers are going to try to figure out how do we bring people back in, but how do we maximize their talents? And so it's a matter of each of us positioning ourselves to work in a world with robots, but where we still add that human level of judgment, we still add that human level of interaction that robots currently aren't that great at. And to go back to your earlier question for a moment, you would ask about different types of robots that are useful for education. You know, they're not just for kids. The best ones, and I'm thinking now there's Miko and Missy and a couple of others, the best ones, you should play with your kids and learn how to use the robots alongside them. Because even though you probably won't be programming a social robot, understanding the process of interacting with technology, that's something that everybody can benefit from. Miko, Nissi, I've seen a number of robots as well that programming them is like drawing a line. Mm-hmm or is like snapping a block. And that's really kind of a cool thing for anybody who's scared of the idea of programming. There was one article in the robot report that really wowed me. I'd love to have you tell me a little bit more about this one. Dragonfly is going to be doing epidemic tracking through drones. Did I understand that correctly? That is correct. So, and, you know, we've talked about a bunch of different types of robots. We haven't really talked that much about drones. So already in China, there's been some application of drones to monitor people's respiration, their temperature remotely. So imagine instead of having to go to the doctor if you feel ill, or instead of having to screen a long line of people for all their health measurements, imagine if you could do that remotely. A drone that could do that, yes, it raises some privacy concerns, but if it could say, oh, I know that people these people I've identified as running a fever, and I can send them home quickly through a text message, wouldn't that help limit the spread of the disease? There's certainly a lot of work being done right now. On We all think of science fiction where you just wave a wand at somebody and you know all of their vital statistics right away. Robots can actually help us do that. And when we're talking about hospitals being overcrowded, why not have that level of pre-screening where we can send people home or send people to safety more easily? So if you think right now, you have to stand in line at TSA at the airport, and they're not screening you for your temperature, but they are screening you for security reasons. Well, imagine those lines can go away thanks to the use of mobile robots and drones. And if I'm understanding correctly, let's say that I'm taking a trip somewhere after this ends and maybe I'm catching a cold. And is that how that works? That drone just catches the fact that I have maybe a temperature and says, no, you go home. You might be contagious. In fact, that might eventually happen, something like that. Yeah, where it can, through infrared cameras, they can detect your temperature remotely, not invasive, right? And you're out in a public environment, but it can help public health officials and facilities really control who they're letting in. I spoke last week with a restaurant in California, and they, in addition to having robots from Miso Robotics, they have Flippy, which is frying food and hamburgers. They are also in the process of installing infrared contactless detectors on their door so that if a delivery person came or a customer came for takeout and they had a fear, they could say, whoa, back off 
please send someone else. We don't want you to infect anyone. And again, it sounds drastic right now, and it's a limited deployment right now, but that ability to measure people's health and then make recommendations based on that is, I think, a huge value. Wow. I'm sitting here with my mouth open. It, I can see it both ways. I can see it being of huge value. I can see people saying, well, come on, I'm not that sick. <laughs> it's going to be probably applied kind of sparingly in, in some ways in the future. With people all being stuck at home right now, I'm thinking specifically of a robotics club that's not too far from where I live. What are some of your favorite resources for any open source software or any favorite projects you've seen independent roboticists start developing in the middle of the pandemic that might be of interest to them too? Well, fortunately, a lot of roboticists are capable of working from home. And so they, especially on the software side, on the hardware side, a lot of assembling and, you know, actual hands-on Hardware work is being still done, but with carefully managed staff. I would certainly say if you are interested in learning more about robotics, the Roth Foundation. So Robotic Operating System is an open source platform, and a lot of the educational robots are built on it. A lot of the mobile robots are built on it. And so that's certainly one resource I would recommend. Depending on where you live, local university or industrial association might have. So, for example, I live near Boston. We have Mass Robotics, which is a phenomenal resource for the local community in Silicon Valley of Silicon Valley Robotics. And there are associations that will help people on the educational side. And there are a few national institutions, like the ARM Institute, based out of Pittsburgh, which are interested in applying robots to helping industry. And it's really a great time if you're stuck at home to do some research and find out, okay, I'm in this kind of industry. Maybe I'm in, in light manufacturing and maybe I'm in New England. What resources can I find to help me with that? And there are plenty out there. And I'm sure those organizations might take a little bit to get back to you because, again, no one's in the office. But it is a good time to start thinking ahead and say, okay, if I need to increase my qualifications, what programs exist. And a lot of the universities are moving their programs online. So even after this crisis, it will be easier than ever for people to get a robotics education. This is, in some ways, I hate to say an exciting time, but it's simultaneously a scary time, but also some exciting opportunities for people listening. What have you seen so far as one of the most exciting developments in robotics as we're combating the pandemic? Well, as I said before, the robots that are on the front lines helping doctors and nurses, I think that is exciting. We've seen 3D printing being applied now to try to mass-produce masks and ventilators. That is literally life-saving technology. That is really exciting. I think the acceptance of robotics is going to change. Again, if you go to the grocery store now, you already have to maintain a six-foot safe distance or two-meter safe distance from your fellow shoppers. And then you are worried about the people either infecting them or them infecting you, about the people who are working there. Robots can absolutely help with that. And I think people's resistance to that kind of technology will decline. As I said before, drones and delivery robots, those will start to become more commonplace. And I think people will be much more willing to accept them when they understand that they can provide efficient service 
with less danger of contact. So I absolutely agree. It is an exciting time. We have to get through some very difficult times first when we're talking about unemployment or people being sick or people afraid of getting sick. That certainly is a real challenge. And the challenge is also that this infection is not happening at the same rate everywhere, right? New York City, parts of Europe, parts of Asia have been hit really hard. And that will also affect how we view supply chains. How do we supply our major cities across the country, across the world, in a way that protects the health of everyone involved? How do we manufacture things in a way that we can do it without relying on low-cost labor that's halfway around the world? How do we make sure that we protect hospital workers in new and creative ways? I think there's all kinds of applications for robotics that will open up after this. And people will certainly want to see what you've written on the Robot Report and any other publications. Let's give some links. Well, as always, please visit the robotreport.com and roboticsbusinessreview.com. And we have another site, collaborativerobotictrends.com. Any one of those sites will have information on some of the latest developments, both in the COVID-19 reaction, but also in robotics in general. We cover all kinds of automation from some of these telepresence and educational robots that we've talked about, as well as supply chain manufacturing, healthcare, and we have events related to all of those topics as well. Speaking of which, what about your event in September? I believe you have the Robotics Summit and Expo. Is that still happening September 24th in Boston? Yes. As of right now, and again, knock on wood, we are still moving ahead with plans for the Robotics Summit and Expo. That event's been extremely successful. It more than doubled in attendance year over year. Last year, we expect it to continue to grow this year. That will be at the Heinz Convention Center in Boston in September. And it is also going to be co-located with our Healthcare Robotics Engineering Forum. Again, very timely, but also healthcare in Boston, one of the leading cities in the country. I think robotics and all of this coming together, it really will be an excellent opportunity for developers and engineers to learn about the state of the industry, the state of technology, and to compare notes. And what is the link for people to find out more about the Robotics Summit and Expo? So on the Robotics Summit and Expo, you just go to roboticsummit.com. And then for the Healthcare Robotics Engineering Forum, which is co-located or will be co-located with it, it's healthcareroboticsforum.com. And again, those events are September 24th and 25th in Boston. I definitely hope to see everyone there. Again, that's roboticsummit.com for the Robotics Summit and Expo, scheduled for September 24th and 25th in Boston. And as Eugene mentioned, the Healthcare Robotics Engineering Forum is co-located with this event. You'll find information at healthcareroboticsforum.com that you really enjoy hearing back from people on what they're looking for in robotics. What are you hearing now during this pandemic about what folks don't see right now, but they'd like to see in the future? One thing that has come up recently is the idea of robots to do multiple tasks flexibly. And so some of that requires a level of machine learning and AI. Some of that requires robot hardware to be designed to be more flexible. So we talk about collaborative robots as an example, or mobile manipulators as another example, where you have these robots that are not just stuck 
bolted to the floor on an assembly line doing one thing over and over. Robots are great at that, and they have relieved people of labor. But robots can also, are starting to be capable of doing multiple tasks or being able to be reprogrammed more easily, more effectively. And so there's a lot of potential there for robots to fill these roles where you might not have seen them before, in smaller companies, in more frontline type applications where they're not back in a factory somewhere where most robots still are, but closer to where people need them. And so I think that has a lot of potential. Imagine, you know, you're in a machine shop or at a mechanic and they've got a robot on their table or on a cart or that's rolling around. It's no longer uh, something exotic or confined to big companies. Let's, in fact, give a shout-out to small businesses. What are some of the opportunities you see for small businesses right now to develop robotic technology and some of the most exciting ones to fight what's going on with the pandemic? So, you know, I mentioned before retail and food handling. Those are absolutely areas that we're already investigating robotics and that we're in the midst of early trials and testing. Other areas are public safety. We talked about drones flying around. We've talked about mobile robots be able to monitor health conditions in the crowd. There's security robots, which right now everything is sparsely populated. Your facility is relatively safe, but why not have robots that can monitor without having to devote human beings to facilities that are either sensitive or where you don't want to put a person in harm's way. There's robots for gathering all kinds of scientific data. You know, we know that pollution one possible silver lining of the pandemic is that pollution is dissipating in urban areas around the world. What can we learn from that? How can we maybe alter future commuting patterns, not just with autonomous vehicles, but with the ability to monitor these microclimate conditions? In agriculture, there's a tremendous need for robots that can pick fruit, pick vegetables. Farming is already pretty heavily mechanized, but there's also a lot of backbreaking work that is difficult to do. Reshoring manufacturing, that's another area of potential for robotics. We've talked about long supply chains around the world. That interdependency won't go away, but can we have our country be somewhat more self-reliant, self-sufficient by bringing certain critical tasks back home? And so I think there's a lot of things that we can be doing with robots that we're not doing yet. I hate to say it's going to be exciting, but it is going to be exciting because we're going to be seeing some development. Let's just hope that it does save some lives and make a huge difference. We've talked about a lot of exciting facts. However, what is one of your absolute favorite stories about what you're seeing in robotics now during the COVID-19 pandemic? The robotics community is very collegial, and I think that's one of the things that I find very inspiring is that there have been robotics companies that they are serving either critical sectors like groceries or hospitals or they are developing robots that might be useful down the line but they're trying to turn their developers attention now to critical needs like 3D printing respirators and so to me that's been really inspiring that we usually think of business as being very cutthroat very competitive and there are moments when it is but in robotics, which I think is somewhat unique, robotics is inherently multidisciplinary. You have to have mechatronics and electronics and 
software engineers all coming together. And because of that, the robotics community has been very humane in its response. Sending people home, yes, like everyone else, but also trying to put that talent to work, trying to say, okay, what can we do that's creative on social media, through existing organizations, and even individually, I've been inspired by seeing the response of the community to this crisis. As we wrap up today, Eugene, if people could only get one lesson from this pandemic about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, and robotics, what ought they to take away from this? You know, pandemics and other crises bring out the best and worst in people, but they also offer us an opportunity to advance technology. We usually think of wars as advancing technology, but it doesn't have to be that way. People can cooperate across borders. People can collaborate across industries. We're already seeing that happen where the automakers are trying to make ventilators and masks. With robotics, there's really the idea of augmenting and expanding human capability. It's not replacing people. It's really helping people. And so if you're listening and you're not sure about what robotics can do, maybe you're going to be the one who figures it out. And so it's really an extraordinary opportunity. Again, not to diminish the challenge or the suffering, but I think we can stand up to that challenge and come up with new technologies or new applications for existing technologies that will really help the economy in the long run. Eugene, thank you for your time today. Well, thank you for having me. You and I have been listening to Eugene Dimitri, Senior Editor of The Robot Report. Check out the latest developments in robotics on therobotreport.com, also on roboticsbusinessreview.com, and the third site Eugene mentioned, Collaborative Robotics Trends, can be found at cobottrends.com. And for information on the Robotics Summit and Expo, scheduled for September 24th and 25th in Boston, take a look at roboticssummit.com. Meanwhile, for the Healthcare Robotics Engineering Forum, co-located with the Robotics Summit and Expo, the link is healthcareroboticsforum.com. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X, twomavericks.com. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.